Welcome to Agents of Tech, our science and technology podcast. I'm your host, Atria Godfrey. And I'm Stephen Horn. Together, we're looking at exciting new technologies shaping our world today. And in this episode, we're looking at medicine and technology in intensive care and nuclear imaging. Yes, and we start with intensive care, the specialist hospital treatment and monitoring of very sick people. In 1952, in Copenhagen, Bjorn Ibsen, a Danish anaesthetist, found the world's first intensive care unit. Denmark was in the midst of a devastating polio epidemic. Ibsen was treating a 12-year-old girl who was dying of paralytic poliomyelitis, but he thought he could save her. He suggested treating polio patients in the same way as he'd been managing curacized patients during surgery. Curare is a type of anaesthetic that relaxes the body's muscles. These patients were intubated and ventilated, and Ibsen thought the same method could be used on polio patients. And he was right. The girl regained consciousness, and her temperature fell. So Stephen, this convinced doctors that this new technique was the way forward. So they organized shifts of about 1,500 volunteer medical students, nurses, and retired staff to do this ventilation on polio patients. The work of these volunteer teams using Ibsen's techniques slashed mortality rates from 87% to less than 15% among patients with poliomyelitis, and the intensive care unit was born. It's an extraordinary achievement, and it's commemorated each year in the Euroanesthesia Conference with Professor Ibsen Lecture. At this year's meeting in Glasgow, our colleague Sam Pauli caught up with speaker Professor Jean-Louis Vincent from Erasmus University Hospital in Brussels. He talks about the development of new technologies and the potential of AI in intensive care. We're now joined by this year's Professor Ibsen Lecturer, Professor Jean-Louis Vincent. Jean-Louis, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you here. I wonder if you could start by telling us about your lecture, because the title of it is Past, Present and Future of Intensive Care Medicine. What are some of the key topics that you're touching upon? It was indeed a very broad topic. Uh, I love uh, intensive care medicine. There is a lot to say about it. But we started from the very beginning, a little bit of history, about how respiratory support could start. And then, uh, of course, I alluded to Professor Ibsen, who, was, uh, who developed uh, the first ICU in Europe at time of the polio epidemics in the early 1950s. And uh, his, the lecture was after his name, of course, after him. And so from there, there have been a number of technological developments and improvement in, uh, in processes. Uh, So we have gone a long way uh, since today and a lot to say about the future and the importance of uh, further developments in technology and organization. So really a very broad topic. So moving forward then, what do you think the future holds for for critical care medicine? Oh, it's amazing. Uh, I think we will really return to personalized medicine. It was a bit forgotten with uh, big trials trying to show that this will work in every single patient. It's uh, wishful thinking, but it's not possible. Every patient needs a particular treatment at a particular time. And so we are returning to this very basic concepts that we forgot a little bit. And so with artificial intelligence in the future, we will be helped by computerized systems that will really help to recognize the right patient for the right intervention. So that's really very exciting. And I also alluded to 
uh, treatments that could be somewhat automated, like fluid administration with closed loops. You give fluids, you see how the patient responds. If the patient seems to benefit, you give more fluids. And we all struggle to find the best way to do it. But with automated systems, after all, it could be optimized. And so that's the kind of thing that we will see in the future. And it's already coming in the operating room. So in the ICU, we follow the anesthesiology uh, research in some way because they have uh, really done it in the operating room before we apply it in the ICU. So it's very exciting. And uh, indeed, and you also talked very much about technology there. Are there other advances that need to take place in clinical research or phys physician training or in medical practice to support that endeavor? I'm very pleased that you raised that point because uh, people tend to think in terms of technology when you speak about ICU, about new respirators, new machines, uh, new uh, monitoring devices. But it's not just machines. We need to have the right people working there and the right support from, uh, from, from uh, AI-based systems as they will come. And so the process of care is perhaps what has improved the most in, uh, in the ICU. How we can communicate, how we can talk to each other, how we can improve each other through conversations, discussions, seminars, etc. And so that's very exciting because a better organization also helps people to keep their own quality of life. People also tend to think that, that ICU work is terrible and you're always dealing with uh, very sad situations. No, 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 no. We can think that in the worst case scenario, without us, the patient would have died, but we could at least try something. And in many cases, we can not only save lives, but prevent complications. And so this is through a better process of care. And now we are looking at ways to limit the risks of errors and improve individualized patient management. And so that's really something which is uh, very promising. And just to finish, just taking it back to the, the theme of, of your presentation, past, present and future, the speed of change over that period, what sort of pace are we seeing now? Does, is it, is the, um, are the changes coming faster and faster or you know, has the pace of change slowed down? How is that pace going through? Kind of the Clearly, uh, the pace has changed over the years. Uh, initially, it went rather slowly um, and we made um, relatively little progress, although it was primarily through the organ support, the respirators, the cardiovascular drugs, the defibrillators, etc., that we make progress. And then over time, uh, it started to go faster. And now it's really progressing at a very fast speed. Not so much the big prospective randomized controlled trials looking at effect on mortality. They're all negative one after the other. But in terms of how to personalize our approach, that is really changing very, very fast. Yeah. And you feel optimistic for the Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Let's, let's meet again in two years from now. The world will be totally different and much better. Well, I will certainly look forward to that, Jean-Louis. Until then, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. 
So, Autria, it's good to hear from a professor of medicine that's optimistic about the future and the potential of personalized medicine. It really is fascinating. And you know, what's also incredible is and incredibly positive is that the lessons learned by intensive care specialists during the COVID pandemic will now benefit patients going forward. All right, next up, we turn to nuclear medicine imaging. This is a method of producing images by detecting radiation from different parts of the body after a radioactive tracer is given to the patient. The images are then digitally generated on a computer and a nuclear medicine doctor interprets the images to make a diagnosis. At the Society of Nuclear Medicine and Molecular Imaging in Chicago, Illinois, our colleague Dana Baer spoke to Dr. James Thackeray from Hanover Medical School in Germany about his group's work in trying to merge heart imaging with therapy. I'm joined now by Dr. James Thackeray talking cardiology at the meeting. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. I want to talk specifically about uh, the goals for cardiovascular care when it comes to nuclear medicine. So I think the evolving way of looking at nuclear cardiology and, car and uh, uh, translational cardiovascular molecular imaging is really seeing how we can bring the image closer to the actual therapy. So the things that we're actually starting to see are new molecular imaging markers that can allow us to look at really early, early stages of disease and refine how we actually treat those patients using very specific molecular targeted therapies. So specifically here at the meeting, uh, talk about some of the topics within that realm that are being highlighted here. So a couple of areas that are particularly exciting are in inflammation imaging, which uh, inflammatory cells invade the damaged region in, in a wide range of different cardiovascular diseases. Uh, and by targeting those cells with the imaging agents, we can actually get an idea of which patients are at greater risk of developing further complications of the disease and what will, which patients will actually advance to more overt heart failure. The same thing can be said in looking at activated fibroblasts. There's uh, new agents available now looking at fibroblast activation protein, which is upregulated in a transient set of cardiac fibroblasts that actually participate in the active remodeling phase of the heart. So if we can harness this in visualizing which patients have a stronger fibroblast activity, we can then think about ways that we can treat that and prevent the progression of heart failure in those patients. And it provides opportunity to have patients sort of stop their heart disease from moving forward and, and really live a more productive and healthy life. That's correct. Um, I think by identifying, especially when we're talking about new and targeted molecular therapies that are really going to be specific to the individual uh, who will not necessarily all be the same, then being able to screen which patients will respond to that therapy is really beneficial. Was there one thing that stands out for you as being most exciting in the field? Um, I, think the, I think where we are starting to merge together, the, the imaging and the therapy is really the exciting part. Uh, Cardiology has lagged behind a little bit in this. Uh, we've spent a lot of time focused on measuring perfusion, which does an excellent job of predicting long-term outcomes, but really doesn't address what we can actually therapeutically uh, modify in the progression of the disease. So as these agents become available, I think we have a better opportunity to intervene in the patients that can really benefit from these, uh, from these uh, new therapeutic interventions and make a difference. Dr. Perfect. Thackeray, we appreciate your time and your research. Thank you very much. 
So there, the promise of new interventions for heart failure patients. And staying with the Society of Nuclear Medicine and Molecular Imaging, we take a look at application-specific PET systems. PET, by the way, stands for Positron Emission Tomography, and it's a type of nuclear medicine procedure that measures metabolic activity of the cells of body tissues. PET is actually a combination of nuclear medicine and biochemical analysis. Used mostly in patients with brain or heart conditions and cancer, PET helps to visualize the biochemical changes taking place in the body, such as the metabolism of the heart muscle. Dana spoke with Tega Yamaya from the Institute of Quantum Medical Science in Japan about expanding the potential of nuclear medicine. We're discussing application-specific PET systems with Dr. Taiga Yamaya. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And I know you're giving a talk about sort of expanding the potential of PET in nuclear medicine. And I think before we discuss that, we have to talk about what the limitations and challenges are currently. Okay, so the, the most um, challenging thing is in detector development. And the, so there are many studies uh, which uh, improve in spatial resolution and timing resolution of detectors. But still, the detectability uh, of detectors uh, is an issue. And the, in my research, so um, we developed a new detector for application-specific pest systems. And so how do you take that knowledge and then sort of expand the potential for nuclear medicine and PET scans? OK, so the, due to the limitation of detectors, Conventional PET scanners are all large cylindrical shape. So because of that, so it is preventing uh, to extract the performance of PET scanner, and also uh, it is increasing equipment cost. And with my detector technology, so it is possible to make PET systems as small as compact, as well as improving performance. So therefore, so I believe. So we can improve um, diagnostic performance of PET scanner, and also we can reduce production cost to deliver such good technology to everyone who need it. So if you make it easier, you make yes. it less expensive, clearly more people can use it. How do you get the word out? So anyway, so I am a, a physics researcher, and I recognize my, uh, my role in this field is to make an innovation and they deliver excellent tools to nuclear medicine physicians. And the, once I can deliver innovative things to nuclear medicine physicians, and I hope they can save more patients and they can um, improve um, healthy longevity. It's certainly inspirational and exciting, I'm sure, to the people that are going to hear your talk. What do you hope they take away from it? Um, a take-home message for myself will be application-specific pest systems can expand potential of nuclear medicine. And I believe um, developing such innovative tools and the delivering such things to nuclear medicine, nuclear medicine physicians, then uh, I believe um, physicians can save more patient life and also uh, physicians can improve healthy longevity. Of course to myself, but to everybody. 
And isn't that the goal, right? Applying the research to the people to make a difference. Thank you so much for all Thank you're you doing. So, Audrey, you're not going to believe it, but that's all for this episode. Yes, and I have thoroughly enjoyed it. The future of healthcare is shaping up in front of our very eyes with these advances in technologies. And in particular, I was very fascinated to learn about the creation of the ICU. I had no idea. Isn't it just so fascinating, Audrey? And such clever chaps, those Danes, aren't they? Definitely. So until next time, it's goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>